Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have a very exciting guest, as always, it's Dr. Scott Stevenson. We're talking all about Peak Week. He recently released a fantastic study that went really deep over Peak Week, and this is an evidence-based guide, and there's a lot of poor information out there on Peak Week, so we get into a really fun discussion. Also, so you know, we have a really exciting program that we are launching very soon, and that is the Mini Cut Movement. You may have heard of Mini Cuts, quick fat loss, efficient fat loss. Well, we are running a group coaching format where we're taking you through a really short mini cut to get fat off very efficiently. We're going to be guiding you through that process through Zoom calls with our coaches, and it's going to be really fun, really interactive. And of course, you're going to get really lean. So definitely check out the link below for the wait list so you know exactly when everything's going to be running. Now, guys, enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And uh, for those watching, you will see I have Scott Stevenson back on the show. I was just checking back. I always like to check back when guests who have been on multiple times, like Scott's been on the podcast more than I can probably even count. It's, it's, it's maybe in the teens by now. No, um, not, maybe not no, quite that many, no, but, but it will, it will sometime. Uh, we'll oh, keep oh. going. So it was 30 episodes ago, pretty much. So it was episode 233, which was okay. the end of last year, November last year. So right. it's, it's crazy how fast time flies especially when i guess for you you're doing podcasts quite regularly just like me actually but uh like on the other end quite often and right. it's just crazy how fast the time can go between like being on different shows and having chats and things yeah it's i mean for me it's always sort of been because it just i try to be extent i possibly can be sort of natural so yeah. sometimes i literally forget i can't remember if i had a conversation with someone or i did a podcast <laughs> yeah. because they're one and the same in my mind so um Anyway, I do speak like this in real life. If someone gets me going on that tangent, so I'm not always, you know, Mr. Sciencey guy. This is how I actually correspond and, you know, have conversations. So, but yeah, it, it does, it does all blur together for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad for that as well, but natural is best as well. So, and it's just a, a just a conversation. I think that's always the most enjoyable listen as well for people rather than like a, a question, like a textbook answer or something. It's like that. This feels <laughs> yes. premeditated. Uh, wow, what's wow, going wow. on here? Yeah, so, I do have Scott on for a particular reason this uh, week because he recently uh, published a study with uh, Christopher Bearcat. So you'll know Chris, who's been on the show, Alan Aragon, Brad Schoenfeld, um, who have been on the show as well. So yeah, he was part of this and it was called Peak Week Recommendations for Bodybuilders and Evidence-Based Approach, which is really kind of, I don't know, to me, I, I love the title because it's a case of Peak Week is one of those mysterious things for a lot of bodybuilders, I think, and I was, I've actually recently been revisiting a lot of kind of pieces of material and uh, the I've kind of interviews I've done with other guests because it's getting to that time again where peak week is coming around like right. later for, for bodybuilders. So I like to just refer back and give myself a reminder. And uh, it's kind of interesting to hear where it came from in terms of like magazines and everything. And slowly but surely, we've actually got some evidence-based recommendations, which is amazing. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So uh, Scott, I don't know if a good starting point would be for you to uh, kind of introduce what the goal of Peak Week might be, and then maybe talk through, just summarize, because otherwise there's far too much detail for each of them, but yeah. summarize each kind of variable that you went over during kind of the, the Peak Week study. 
oh geez yeah there's actually a quite a good number of of sections to be yeah. honest so i need to first give uh, give credit to guillermo escalante um he was sort of the, he spearheaded this whole thing okay uh, right and i did a podcast with him um just a few days ago it should be out sometime soon too but he sort of brought it all together and they brought me in at sort of the at the end um and uh, said okay we, we've got been working on this for a little while but we'd like to bring you in here can you put this together and like the next week i'm like well yeah i'm all over it so the idea of course is is for from a physique perspective you want to be as dry as possible so to speak so um, eliminate subcutaneous water specifically and be as full as possible um, so you want to have as much volume in the muscle cells and that's going to happen through loading glycogen in the the associated water as well as intramuscular triglycerides so there's a fat loading thing that we um, a lot of people hadn't heard about it's sort of been used for years and years and years but actually a really good rationale for this that um, that was actually a section that I added I'm like we got to put some of this in here so they very kindly and even credit goes to the journal we thought for sure this thing was going to be too long like we're like this is like it's like three times as long as normally they'd want for a review like that right but they let it be you know we got the right reviewers and who appreciated what we done and so i think like some like the fat loading and a, a couple other subsections like there's a section on the head down tilt um which i added in there which is something i started doing years ago and i put in my my be your own bodybuilding coach book yep. so we added some things it's just like it was just growing and growing and growing um over time so that's the basic idea um so we cover the importance of protein carbohydrates and fat in that context we cover the importance of water and water manipulation, um, potentially, of course, as far as importance goes, and sodium potassium, so electrolytes. Um, let me first say, because this is one of the big things that many people say, this is one of the sort of the contentious features of, of a peak week is you really shouldn't have to do much of anything at all if you're really in shape. And that's absolutely, utterly the truth. Um, if you really just peeled, just completely skinned there's no fat at all then you look phenomenal almost all under all conditions and you can make slight manipulations to your water intake and even see something better it's very it's very evident um and you can drop water really rapidly to this one thing that i don't know that we actually mentioned specifically we're going to maybe even test this here with um we'll see i'm uh, hopefully i'm not speaking too early but chris is prepping this year yeah and we have some ways to test hydration status and how water drops off when you do a peak leak peak leak protocol like we've got in the paper and my and you may have seen this too is that when i do practice runs with people you see the water drops off more rapidly the leaner they are and that's i think more than likely because as the body fat the subcutaneous body fat in particular goes down um, the space that's there as the connective tissue of the adipose starts to shrink in when the actual storage of triglyceride in those cells gets smaller that space becomes smaller and smaller. So those places where that sub Q water would go um, is the volume becomes less. So you're not, you don't have as much sub Q water. Um, you can get dehydrated, you know, more mm -hmm. easily, of course. So we're going to sort of test that out. And you see that, you know, um, just like someone who's really, really in shape, you know, you may gain two or three pounds of water over the course of a day and you wake up just absolutely bone dry. Yeah. You know, the morning of, um, we were talking about this at um, Derek Oslin's gym. I've been training with here this year and there was a, a picture that I took years ago because it kind of freaked me out when I was dieting in for a show and I was like I wasn't even like within a month of the show um 
but I, maybe I'd done a show before, but I think I was like six weeks out from the actual main show I wanted to do. And my glutes were strided all the way across. And I was real thirsty for some reason. This is in Arizona. I may have been out in the heat that day. And I drank a gallon of water overnight, like it, literally getting up and sleeping. And I woke up that day, maybe did a little work. And I went and looked at, I did, did some posing in the morning. I looked and I looked crazy freaky, like dry as anything. And it was just because I was so lean. So anyway, the main point there is that all of these manipulations don't need to all be employed necessarily. And to make sure you're not overdoing it or doing something that's not right, we've, we've suggested, and this is something that I really have harped on for years, doing a practice run. Yeah. The nice thing about the protocol we have in there is that that practice run can be done repeatedly. And I've done this with clients for years and years and years because there's no pharmaceutical diuretics necessary to make the process happen. And that, from what I've seen, is such, I think it's such an insult to the kidneys and to the system in general, especially, you know, for the kind of old school way of doing things where you start putting in aldactone early in the week and, you know, when and drug, you know, in the non-tested organizations, you have major water rebound. You literally, even two weeks later, trying to do what you once did isn't going to evoke the same responses right. because you just haven't regained water fluid homeostasis, whether that's a you know, kidney injury that's repairing itself or just something that needs to takes has a, you know, a half-life of, of restoration. I don't know that, you know, it's a matter of, you know, five or six days, either way, especially week to week, um, doing that without having to do it the way many coaches do, which is literally watching every single day and adjusting, you know, on the fly, very particularly hoping you, you can sort of nail things. So what we've got in there is makes the presumption you're not trying to add any of those things in pharmaceutical diuretics. Instead, using things like B vitamins, vitamin C, um, caffeine, of course, you know, which is pretty pretty harmless. Obviously, it's you're probably the most used drug worldwide. I think. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things allow for a repeatable testing process. So you can see two weeks out, you should obviously hopefully be in shape or really really close. And uh, if you don't get a what, what happens too, if you don't get a, a good effect, like literally on your mock show day, what you want, you may look better just after dropping your carbs for a few days, which is something we do at the beginning to precede the carbohydrate loading that happens midweek. So you may find that, you know what, just a couple of days of dropping your carbs are great. Or, or maybe after loading, you know, I look really good for some reason like that afternoon um, when I'm trying to drop more water. That's a good place to be. So you can recreate some portion of what we got. And you've got literally different looks you're going to have throughout the course of that week, which will inform you as to what you may need to do in sort of just a, a partial um, set of manipulations that work for you rather than the whole week's long strategy that we put forth in the paper. So, but those are the main ideas and yeah. um, some nuances of whether you should or shouldn't do it or how much of what we've put forth really is you should do um, depending on what you see with that important practice week. I love all the the initial caveats because I think it is important, like you said, yeah. like being in shape. It's important to be in shape. It's important to test this thing um, and not place too much value on it and understand that, like, yeah, if you are tweaking things, like multiple things that you talked about there, they're things that want to have been tried and tested before. Otherwise, like it's going to become a really stressful thing, which is also something you talked about. Like I loved the review because I was like, you've you've gone over training, you've gone over cardio, you've gone over sleep and stress. Like you covered every kind of 
and supplements, things that maybe sometimes don't get covered. So I, I really loved the review because I've even, like I've done podcasts that have been like hour, two hours long. And we still haven't covered all these things, mm-hmm. uh, which just tells the audience at least the amount of detail that you've put in here. Uh, and actually with your book, you've gone into even more detail than <laughs> even the paper, which is, is awesome. So, I mean, if people are interested to learn more, they're definitely, they should be checking out your coat. Uh, sorry, be your own bodybuilding uh wait what be your yeah, own bodybuilding coach, yeah. coach it's i mean it's as simple as <laughs> it is yeah. what it says on the tin uh so yeah i really appreciate i appreciated it as a coach and obviously trying to do this even an evidence-based way but also there all the kind of caveats like you said it, you've got one format here which maybe someone would name like a deplete with a kind of a, a mid load or something because there's loads of different names load. right but like there's front loads back loads like rapid back loads uh kind of taper up every single day and like a lot of the principles i think like science a lot of the principles you talk through within the paper are going to apply in those situations as well yeah the interesting thing too is if you look at it from the outside you're like oh my gosh like we're doing you know rocket surgery here rocket (laughs) brain surgery like this is just like way too much trying to put on man on the moon and like you know create a cyborg it's like over the top but with that practice run, it really is fairly simple. Once you sort of get all everything lined up and it doesn't become stressful. This is actually, I, there are times and I, and I, and I mentioned this many times talking about this topic where someone may not even really need a peak week protocol at all. What they need is a protocol, like anything, like they right. just need a distraction. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they need almost like a control peak week that isn't really intended to do much, but you still do those things. And so that just keeps them from, from perseverating as well as knowing that, you know, if you do these things and you don't go crazy overboard, like you're pretty um, moderate in your approach throughout the week with the loading and the depletion, um, you do have a strategy to follow and you just, you just check the boxes and you go along and do it and you've done it once and you've seen it work. So when your weight goes up and maybe like if you get aggressive, one thing I try to do, and I've stolen this term from, from Ken Hill, skip, um, fill and spill. I use that in my book. Yeah. The idea that you like one way to sort of know without (laughs) doing an MRS or, you know, biopsy um, that you're full of glycogen is just, if you spilled over that will tell you, tells you something at least Um, some people they do that like, Oh my God, I'm spilled. It's like, well, this is what we wanted. Now we know you're full. That's was the intention but they will freak out. But if they seen that spilling and the next day they see the weight drop the next morning, and then they see when they do the dry out procedure that they dried out and then they look better than before. They look dry and full. They're like, wow, okay, that's really cool. So they, there's an association hopefully that's made between the spilling over and getting really full and big, which is sort of fun too. It's kind of like, kind of like, when guys will go after a show and they shit load, they eat a bunch of food and they, you know, they look in the mirror like the Sunday and they're like, wow, I look ridiculous. Just like full of, it's a great for an Instagram photo, Yeah. but, but that they're not really as dry as they would, they would need to be in order to look best on stage, on the stage under the lights. Um, so they get to see that in route and you do that. And then it reduces the stress compared to, okay, we're going to, and I've, you know, I've seen this, this is a classic way to do this. Stuff. Chris Aceto does it. So it works, but it takes a lot of, um, a lot of attention where you're literally checking in, like, you know, doing a check-in and posing like every three or four hours and going meal by meal and sort of winding your way through it. And that can be done. Like if you, especially a good coach who's done it a million times, they can do that. 
Um, and if you're trying to do that on your, on your own, that's going to be more difficult for most people. In fact, almost, I mean, I would, I wouldn't do that this, that way because this protocol is, it's basically something I started working on, um, personally, like a couple of decades ago, um, just to have something in place yeah. that I knew would work. Um, but that would just, if I would just suck to kind of like, like be somewhat aimless in like, so what do I do? Like, well, this is going to be a carb meal. This is a no carb meal. Like I'm going to increase my water. I'm going to change, like to try to like flip, juggle all those variables at once. That would be just mind bogglingly stressful and would backfire, yeah. I think. Whereas this is a protocol that you can apply without having someone who's a, who's an objective, calm outside eye, you know, who's going to give you like step-by-step, step, like, you know, wind our way through the darkness type sort of thing. So yeah, the st stress is huge. It's a gigantic part of, you can literally just the stress of a show as you've probably known and maybe, maybe experienced. And I know I've seen it happen many times. It happened to me, um, about three years ago, I was, uh, out of town competing. And this is when my, my dog Rusty was still alive. The one to whom I dedicated my book and, um, make a long, horrible story short. Like it was like, it was like one thing after another went wrong. My plane was delayed. I was on the tarmac for like two hours in the heat. I got in late. I went to Walmart. They were closed somehow at six o'clock to get my food, which another place I was in line for an hour. And then I get a call that my pet sitter has knocked rusty in the pool and she's panicking and freaking out. And I'm, and like, and he was biting her because she knocked him in the water and it was dark. Yeah. And I'm thinking, should I leave? I, I was like, okay, all this doesn't matter. But when my dog is maybe going to die, I'm thinking I need to come home. Well, I just looked horrible for that show. Yeah. There's nothing I really could do. The stress was just, I was literally, I felt panicked for like 12 hours because I was thinking, should I get on a flight and fly home? Like, is this not worth it? So that's super important. That can't be underestimated. The, the extent to which stress and sort of your psychological state can play a role with all of this. We know in the, um, in the section about stress and water retention, there's some interesting studies. There's, there's one documented, it was kind of a case study, I believe, where a person put on like, it was like 15 pounds, maybe 20 pounds. I was thinking it was like eight or nine kilos in 48 hours, just because of a stressful situation It increased their thirst and the cortisol um, binds to the mineralocorticoid receptor. So it works like aldosterone and causes water retention. And you've, people have seen this many times. And that's a lot of water, that's you know? A lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was with drinking, of course, it was feeding the water retention. But if you're even if you're if you're that stressed and freaking out, which I've seen happen, you'll just it'll be way off. Um, this is why drugs, diuretics, you know, I think in part came into play is because, okay. like, once you've got the diuretics in there, like it does, there's, there's such a powerful pharmacological effect that they're going to override, you know, whatever's going on endogenously, you know, it's just, I mean, think of it like, um, you know, uh, speed, you know, methamphetamine or something like that. People stay up for days. They wouldn't be doing that if they weren't, weren't on meth, you know, it's just driving them to stay awake. So yeah. it's overcoming, you know, the natural biorhythms in that case. So, um, as long as you got the stress under control, which I think a practice week helps with, um, then these things work really, really effectively. But they can totally backfire, from what I've seen, personally. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. everyone can relate to. I don't know when you when you're stressed, you don't feel your best, and when you don't feel your best, you don't tend to look your best either. It just like it, it all comes together. 
And I think, yeah, like you said there, actually, where you're like, if you're doing this approach, like if you've kind of planned for it, you've tried it, you've practiced it, even doing that on your own, now you're going to be less stressed because you have an idea of how it's going to go and what to follow or having a coach they can kind of take the stress off for you because now you don't have to think, oh, I need to do this, 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 or maybe I need to look at myself. They just kind of take that stress away. Right. And oh, I think yeah. that that's where a bodybuilding coach, I guess, that's one of the real times they've become very valuable is in those moments where you're a bit loopy towards stage right. because you're kind of questioning everything and you're not sure if you're flat, full, spilled or what have you. Yeah. And the, the and then I'm not, you know, everyone's different. The, the need for coaches, you know, is obviously sort of, I wrote my book as the counter stance yeah. to, you know, coach in some degree, but the thing that you can run into problems with is, and you hear the horror stories all the time of coaches who kind of abandon their clients. Yeah. I've heard just kind of vanish, you know? So it's like, ah, oh. so that person isn't there. And I, and I've seen this even personally with, with friends who are working with coaches and, you know, they, it's like they need to hear from their coach in two hours and, you know, the coach isn't there. They're so just you, looking so, at WhatsApp or their email. Like, <laughs> right. And yeah. the stress is rising, you know? So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the game that you can play, I think to some degree. Um, but that's why the, the, you know, the pharmaceutical diet, the, the pharmaceutical diuretics work differently. I mean, I've, I've talked with people personally who were just on just diced and they said, well, you know, and I always, the thing that I try to say, I think I said this in my book is like, go for an A Hope yep. for an A plus, but don't try to get an A plus because us being bodybuilders and the way we are, especially the mindset there, like you want it all to come together. Like you want to like, you know, win the world championship. You know, you don't want to just do really, really well. You want to, you want to get it, just nail it and really produce something you've never seen. Chances are you're not going to produce a physique that you've never seen at any point in time throughout the course of your prep. Like there's maybe a workout you had the week before where you're like, wow, I look amazing. Yeah. Like that's an A that's good. And these are scenarios where people are like, well, we'll just throw like a half a diazide in there. Or we'll just throw a little bit in there. They try some little, even a little one, not a panic maneuver, but just some little thing. And it's like, they just flatten out like crazy because they're already ready. There's no yeah. need for that. You know, they didn't need to do that. So having that, that pre-planned, like, I know I'm going to look phenomenal if I do it this way. And that sort of thing is, it's really, really invaluable, I think. So, yeah. And a coach can guide you with that. Like I do that with my, my folks, we do a practice run, we nail it all down, we set up the plan and then I hang with them, but I don't need to like communicate with them every two or three hours yeah. because they're just executing and they feed back to like, Oh, it's going great. You know, GI distress was taken care of the di by the digestive enzymes that we added. We didn't have before, or I cut the water off earlier and I could see my weights going where we want it to be. I'm going to be at my weight target weight at this time, which is what we have happened to what we're shooting for based on what happened last time. Etc. 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 So we just like they just kind of like you know things are going great on target you know getting ready to hit the bullseye, which is really really nice. Then then literally my clients are somebody's bragging to me. It's like this is awesome. This is so much fun. And it's the opposite. You know, it's like it really becomes enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to think. You know, they can just be kind of mindless and know that it's all going to work because they literally and talk about if if the idea of I mean this is sort of globally, but if the idea of this whole pursuit is to have some carryover in the rest of your life and to build self-efficacy. That's, I think that's a tremendous experience in that direction yeah. where you're like, you're like, look, I literally kind of like, you know, Scott helped me. I read, I have so many people who, who say they've done use my book and they come back to me and they use my peak week protocol and they look their best ever. Um, there's actually been one person 
who used what was in the paper already. Oh, wow. Paper and came back and said, yeah, that was like literally he came out and he like, I think he didn't even have time to do an actual practice run. He just, and he's like, he said, he looked his best ever and got back to us. So it's so cool. Right. You know, so, so they've done that. They figured out on their own. It's like, now I got this down. So like all that, like what ifs that you have, like going, it's like, so, you know, I'm getting in shape, getting in shape, but I've still got this nebulous, you know, peak week thing. What am I going to do? That box is checked. Once you sort of have a way to do this, that fits, you run your practice run and things will be different each time, but it's not like, I still, once I get to the door, I've still got this unknown labyrinth to navigate on my way to stage for the last three or four days. Yeah. Whereas with the protocol, you know, you've got something that, that will work that you're 99, 95% sure of. So. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. And I think just uh, thinking about a lot of people talk about refeeds and they're almost like a bit of a, like they use that data to supply for their peak. And in a way, I mean, you have low days, maybe that's similar to the depletion or you make some manipulations to make it more similar. Maybe you have two, three refeed days in a row. You've got your kind of practice peak almost there. You just have to maybe if if you are managing uh, sodium and water a bit more closely like you do in your kind of peak week there, which you also mentioned you don't necessarily have to use these these uh, other variables as well. You can keep them steady if you want to. Like right. people are doing that maybe in their last month towards stage. Like you said, then they are practicing almost an identical thing every week. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's... It, I think when people wrap their heads around it like that as well, it it just becomes like, oh, okay. Like I've been practicing this for the last month almost. (laughs) Yeah. That, um, that, you know, that, that sort of undulating feeding the refeeding or, um, you know, sort of periodization throughout the week, that is something that works for people. People are starting to figure that out. And I mean, I've, I always feel like I'm just like, it's an advertisement, you know, for things, but it's, I can't think of a time when doing a practice run didn't push someone forward and uh, made a quantum leap in their conditioning. It almost always does that. I just had a, a, a guy finish one just this last week. And I mean, he's like inching forward, looking at his skin folds and they're all down like, you know, threes and fours. And maybe like one of them will move a 0.5 each time. And after the peak week, once everything had settled, he was, he was I think he moved a millimeter on all of them or maybe a million or two of them. It was like he, he moved forward just based on the skin folds. What in like one week, what he typically would have in like three that has he had been, and this is when things would be tapering off because now he's two weeks out from his yeah. sort of first practice show. Um, so it moves people. And I've had people like to hurry them up to get, give them a little, little, little boost in terms of fat loss, do a practice run. Cause it, do, it does that. It really does. So um, and I think some of that, the way we have it set out, not that you have to do it, as you said, but when you're going three or four days, like with, with zero carbs, not with the intention of trying to lose fat and then having that refeed, whatever's going on with those refeeds that tend to tend to help people lose fat in the long run when it's preceded by a low carb, something, something's going on there that we see, you know, this is, this is the principle. And I mentioned this in the other, um, podcast we did, this is the principle whereby skip loads work you know, Ken Hill's skip loading idea. He's been doing that for decades. That's how he diets people basically with this sort of a weekly type of type of thing. It works phenomenally well. 
he gets people peeled that way. Yeah. So yeah, the, like you do get practice. And of course, if you're doing those refeeds, you're learning what kind of carbs you need. You're learning how to try to train with, you're basically getting some semblance of a peak week protocol. You can actually transition into that and just do one week that way and see how that affects you. So yeah, that's, that's, um, it's not that big of a jump for a lot of people if you're doing some sort of carbohydrate rotation yeah. anyway in your, in your program. And you mentioned it there in terms of, and we talked about it, kind of the intramuscular triglycerides and the fat loading and how that has been something you've seen in the industry, but for at least, I don't know if it's, because you mentioned in the, the paper actually about kind of what the percentage was in terms of intramuscular triglycerides and how much of a difference that could have on a physique that was quite well muscled and i don't know if in the natural scene because we're smaller we don't have as much muscle and don't have as much kind of to gain from the fat loading that maybe that's why it's less popular i'm not sure but that was very interesting to me because i think in depletions at least that i've seen it tends to be like fat protein you keep them where they are drop your carbs so you're in a bigger calorie deficit so it's almost like a depletion and like a aggressive diet into mm. potentially a super compensation phase but you mentioned in the paper where it's like okay you drop your carbs down 50 grams or below i think it was roughly around there and then bring the fats up to make the difference are you bringing fats right. to where the calories were would have been during your low days normally or are they bringing up to bring you to maintenance for the the front half of that kind of depletion so it's just a depletion of literally glycogen a kind of a kind of point to there's different ways this could be done Okay. Um, one of the things that um, I make sure I can't, even, to be honest, kind of the paper and what I do and what I've written about other places, because I've got articles on John Meadows' site on this and in my book, okay. and and here. So, uh, at the point in time where you're that close to being contest ready or you're already ready, um, losing muscle mass is is a, a real concern. I think so. Going for like three days and doing full body training where you literally have, or you're creating a severe dietary um, deficiency, a caloric deficiency, um, probably is not the smartest idea. So what I would typically have people do is keep on at least something that's, that's at the same caloric intake as they have been used to dieting on by replacing the, the carbohydrate calories with fat calories, um, or maybe going higher. So here's where the nuances kind of come in. If someone has been dieting on a higher carb approach because that works for them and they're low in fat in general that person in lieu of actually you know measuring this directly in some way is going to probably have lower um they're going to be depleted as far as intramuscular triglyceride levels in the first place so for them they're going to be more likely to store those any extra calories coming in as intramuscular triglyceride and literally precede any carbohydrate loading we're talking early in the week here now like a Sunday through Tuesday or Wednesday, um, they're going to be able to fat load early on in that week, potentially while they're training. And also, hopefully, I would imagine this may, this hasn't been studied directly, it would be a function to some degree, probably of the type of fats they're bringing in with saturated being the the least um, amenable to helping with improving insulin sensitivity and, and polyunsaturated probably being the best. So, you know, healthier fats, quote unquote, would be a good idea. Um, and as to which fat is best even for, gly- or for loading intramuscular glyceride is sort of an unknown because it's such an unstudied area. But so during that week, it could be either basically maintenance calories, um, would be wary of going intentionally low in calories to create a deficit, 
because now you're going, you know, full body with no carbohydrate coming in. And, um, and now you're also intentionally going somewhat low in glycogen. When glycogen levels are low in the muscle, that tends to create more of a, um, a catabolic scenario. So you don't want to lose muscle in route to doing this at all. But not that you're going to lose a ton in three or four days, but you just don't want to dig so much of a hole for yourself um, where you're really sort of gone completely catabolic. So it kind of depends on the previous diet, how depleted you are. If you're totally diced and ready, then there's no reason at all, I don't think, to use those days for anything other than to try to prime yourself for a little bit of a glycogen supercompensation. So the thing that I think probably, um, because I would say, generally speaking, the, the natural competitors are maybe more evidence-based oriented than the geared guys. Like you go on some of the boards and look, like they're all about the gear. Because obviously that's right. that's the prime factor. And like if mm -hmm. you look at comparison, the difference between you know the best in the world at you know 190, 200 pounds in natural versus the best in the world take Big Rami 100 pounds more. You know the big difference there is I I would be wager to say like you know Big Rami's obviously got good genetics. Maybe there's a genetic difference, but the gear is making a large part of that difference. So there's focus there. So that evidence based um, perspective, I think probably is also rooted in what um, the original evidence was and is and what I think may be practiced. I'm not this connected with the endurance, the cycling and running world, yeah. but the original evidence was to, to get a super compensatory effect, you need to just whack glycogen. Yeah. The original studies with Bergstrom and Holtman where they you know, were doing the muscle biopsies for the first time and they, they dropped muscle glycogen levels down to like nothing. Like it was almost completely absent. And then you got the super compensatory effect. But that is potentially, especially in that really quote unquote depleted place in that last week, a way to bring on some overreaching that's bordering on overtraining. Like you're going to feel, you're going to feel horrible. And I, I played with this stuff all years ago, like literally, you know, trying to really push that, you know, hoping then that I could just pile in the carbs, you know, and get this like crazy filling up. And you could, you could sometimes get that, but, um, it was not, uh, um, not very, it didn't, it didn't help with my overall look because I think just the stress of it all. And yeah. I felt terrible. Um, one thing you want to watch out for too, especially if you try to over deplete, do something different, which I played with as well. We may or may not even mention that. I think we mentioned this in the paper as well, is that if you do a different type of training, you know, let's say it's just increased in volume with the intent to really deplete during the beginning of the week, you can produce muscle damage and that in and yeah, of itself yeah, I thought we had, and that's going to have a, a going to backfire as far as loading, probably because you're just taking those carbs and those are supplying the, have a reparative role in, in just covering the damage that was done. There's a study that's probably cited in there that I've cited previously showing that even like with a massive, like thousand, it was like about a thousand grams a day, um, carbohydrate intake after a, a damaging bout, I believe in the calves, there was no increase in glycogen levels stayed low. It just wouldn't, you just, and that's probably yeah. the energy demand and could be that the glycogen storage mechanism is impaired just because the muscle cells so screwed up yeah. from that kind of damage. So that's an extreme situation, but somewhere in between is where people might lie. So if you overdo it, um, so imagine now like you're someone that's just, well, I'm going to just deplete the glycogen like crazy and I'm going to lose a bunch of fat. So, you know, they're low on glycogen in the muscle. So that's going to depress anabolism, increase catabolism. They don't glycogen load because they damage themselves so much. They just set themselves way so far back. I remember some doing some workouts where I was trying to like evoke the greatest compensatory effect where 
they were like some of the hardest sets I've ever done in my life. And I wasn't even doing anything. I was just yeah. like totally destroyed. Like, yeah. Like I'm thinking like, I don't know if I'm going to be able, like, this is like one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was just ridiculous. It didn't feel that way, but I'd done that to myself. So the other point that I think is important, which I don't know that I've ever seen sort of, sort of discussed, obviously it has been in the papers, but there's, they're relatively unknown. This is a really interesting phenomenon is it seems that during the normal course of glycogen loading, that because that is an energy, there is an energy that's needed in doing so, which you might think, well, that's just going to come from the carbohydrate that's coming in. It seems that, and this is, this is Decombas is the D-E-C-O-M-B-A-Z is the author who's done this work. He's got a nice review that we cite in the paper, um, is that you re reduce intramuscular triglyceride levels in the process of glycogen supercompensation. Um, he's got a, a kind of a dual case study, two subjects where they demonstrate that same phenomenon. So intramuscular triglycerides actually are on the decline while you're loading in glycogen. Right. So being better fat loaded, so to speak, to precede that glycogen loading makes sense so that you don't go even lower intramuscular triglyceride. Um, and this, I think, is why sometimes you hear individuals say that you, know, you want to have some fat loading or eat extra fat some some with some timing in conjunction to the glycogen loading to kind of hold the load yeah yeah i've heard that yeah so um that's i think the the really the physiological connection between what bodybuilders have been seeing now for years and years and years that those things work and and it also sort of gives us some understanding of what can happen when someone shit loads for instance the day of a show right so you put in a shit load which would be just the shitty food, the stuff that people eat like after the show, yeah. you know, that tastes so great. They look phenomenal um, before they start holding water eventually if they keep that up. And it could be that let's say you do the, the burger and fries, which is a common one. You know, that's sort of a shitload type meal. Typically the shitload be, would happen before you get on stage for the first time. So it's, you know, pancakes and bacon and all that good stuff. <clears throat> we'll just look on the, on the macros now, not the, the sodium, et cetera, that comes with that, but that's going to taste good. You'll get a really high insulin release from that. If you look at the insulin index for foods, I think ice cream is one of the highest possible. So it's not that it's got a huge glycemic index because of the fat, but there's a cephalic response too. It's just this is ice cream. This tastes great. We got to keep all these nutrients. This is a this is a valuable food source because it's got fat and sugar, and we like it. So insulin, of course, is gonna gonna help with glycogen loading, of course. And it's possible then that those fats that are coming in may mean that, um, let's say, I, I don't know the exact numbers, you could actually kind of calculate it from some of the decumbus studies, but um, if you just sort of back calculate the amount of fat that was used, but let's say that, you know, you've got 100 grams of glycogen coming in or glucose coming in and you store, you know, 50 grams of that because some of it is just used for basal metabolism and some of them, and then also, uh, you don't have any fats along with that. So you lose out in having to use some of that glucose for the storage process because that's energy. there's some energy cost to that. Whereas now you take in the fat with it and let's say in, from that 100 grams, now you, you bolster that to 70 grams of stored because the fat is there to support the glycogen store, storing process, um, which seems to be have a role. So you get a better filling out process from a given amount of carbs not only, but not just based on the number of cars, but the fact that you've got that insulin release, which could very well be better. And the fact that you've got the fat there supporting um, the glycogen storing process. 
So, so the fats are kind of a unique, you know, it's, it's wide open. You know, I would love to see like just basic stuff where you could just, you know, compare um, the situation where you have someone taking, you know, t take your two groups, do some sort of glycogen depletion, something you know is going to result in a super compensatory effect, and then compare what happens with, you know, 500 or 1,000 grams of carbs over a given period of time with and without, you know, half as many, half as many calories as fat, like literally devoid of fat or just as many calories as from fat if, if you could. So you can have a number of different, like, is it the calories? Is it the carbs? Is it the carbs plus fat? You know, if we do the same amount of calories, let's say there'll be an interesting one too. Let's say you have 500 grams of carbs and, you know, 200 grams of fat, something like that. So the calories are about the same as a thousand grams of carbs with no fat, which is better. Well, you'd think the carbs, carbs for yeah. sure, because fat doesn't help. You know, fat doesn't go directly to, to glycogen storage but it can support glycogen storage in that indirect fashion. So maybe there's something to say for that. The issue that you run into, of course, is that the fats are gonna slow um, the, uh, the, enter or the exiting from the stomach, so it's gonna slow the absorption of the carbs. So if you're yeah. trying to load rapidly, which some people have to do, for instance, if they're, they've made weight and they only have 24 hours before they get on stage or less, then you know, you're gonna have to be careful. You can only get too much in and you're gonna have some bloating that's one of the kind of main goals of the paper is to avoid, you know, gastric distress. Yeah. You've got a, you know, you've got a, a pregnancy um, syndrome going on when you're on stage. It's not going to help you look. So uh, yeah. So that's, that's sort of the reason why we also set it up so that you sort of have that preparatory period, not necessarily depleting, but at least insulin sensitizing, loading the fats potentially early on to support the glycogen loading and give yourself a day or day and a half or two days to do that. So you can be sure to get enough carbohydrate in rather than trying to cram it into um, a short period of time. And then while I'm continuing the train of thought, it's nice to know that the glycogen will stay there for three, four, five days yeah. as long as you don't use it up. So once it's there, you're good. Once you're loaded, um, and that's when maybe some fats would be nice. That has to do with the day, day before of, of the dehydrating period to drop the water that you may have retained from the carbs you took in. So... Yeah, yeah, fats are fats have a have a unique role that I think have been neglected. So yeah, that's a, a really vital thing to look into. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. I would I would absolutely agree. I think they have been a little bit neglected because I think fat just people inherently think fat oh it's easily stored as fat like the body like doesn't have to it's work true. very hard right. to to kind of deal with that but if you're not pushing yourself into excessive calorie surpluses or what have you and you're managing it like you're using it in a, a smart way like you said and there's a reason people said like fat holds on to the kind of seems to help hold on to the glycogen and there's a reason for that so I really like how if people haven't read the paper not we've kind of walked through it in terms of depleting couple of days of kind of loading with lower fats after you've kind of fat loaded so you've got them available for the kind of if they do have a role for the carbohydrate loading and then you have that kind of that nice little kind of a cleanup day almost um and also right. a manipulation that's where you're suggesting you could i mean you can manipulate water and sodium or you don't have to but that's where you're now next kind of making a, a manipulation which again i think in the natural scene particularly which will be the majority of this audience that's something they won't have 
probably or they might have seen people talk about it but they've been like mm, let's just keep water and sodium high generally and then that's kind of and keep it level across the week but you right. i don't know if you want to discuss that little bit of kind of what you might be able to do to improve the reduction of subcutaneous water retention if there is any yeah so like one thing like the question would be and I've, we've got a flow chart there which one of the figures um that I actually put together because it's like, like it's a decision making process. Like if this, then that, you know, how yeah. do I know if I'm full or I'm dry, what have you. <clears throat> and one thing I think people can sort of look at is if they see differences in their physique, especially in that week or the, you know, couple weeks out from morning until night that sort of match body weight changes on the scale, which suggests we're talking about water there. So they look really good in the morning. Some people look better at night. That's that happens every once in a while. But the typical thing you'd see is you wake up and you're 170 pounds in the morning, you're 174 at night, and you look blurred over. You don't look as sharp as you did in the morning when you're lighter. So that tells you that's probably water. And it's going to distribute itself to the intracellular, and we're primarily worried about the muscle mass here, and the extracellular space. And outside the cells, the extracellular space is going to be the vasculature as well as the interstitial spaces, in particular the stuff that's under the skin. So that's where you want to get rid of it because that's what's going to blur the separation in the musculature. So, so the idea is like if you're someone who you, if you think that is, and you could test this out, of course, with the practice run, is going to do better with dropping that extracellular water, you're in a nice scenario um, when you've led up to the, the show a day or so, two days before, where you've got the intracellular component kind of taken care of. You loaded all that glycogen. You brought the water in there. You're not going to use the glycogen up because you're not going to like, you know, pose like continuously, you know, checking your conditioning, which is one of the, one of the issues that can be sometimes yeah. for a coach. You're running someone through those mandatories. And they do their mandatories, you know, five times during the day. It's like, ah, you know, you're changing the physique there to some degree, maybe for the, to the, to its detriment. So Basically, the, the, the scenario, the situation, we've got sort of some numbers we've drawn from one particular study. I believe it was with wrestlers or MMA participants. And I have ways that I've, it matches really with that, with how I've done it. And there's, there's a lot of variability here from what I've seen in terms of the extent to which this manipulation needs to happen. And some of it's just the person, um, just like there's a lot of variability in, in um, blood pressure, for instance. It's important, like one of the things that may affect this is the dopamine receptors that you have on your on your kidneys, which are highly predictive of your susceptibility to hypertension. Um, a lot of people, that's why they give diuretics to treat hypertension because they've got a chronic water retention issue. So this is a sort of, there's a little bit of trial and error that would need to come with this. But the basic idea is that if we got that intracellular fluid component taken care of, and we can manipulate body water, generally speaking, um, because it's regulated about the concentration of sodium in the blood. That's the main extracellular electrolyte that you have there. So the body is trying to, and I use the thermostat example in my, um, or analogy in my book, and Chris Barakat wrote the section. He did a really nice job of being, he's very complete with it in this paper, is that the, the homeostat, so to speak, in the body is, is, is operating around a given level of sodium in the blood. And if you drink a bunch of water, then that dilutes the sodium and that causes diuresis. If you don't drink too much water, and that would tend to increase the sodium concentration, the body's going to try to hold on to that. 
And what we can do then is by keeping, normally just keeping one of those variables the same. So sodium level relatively high, which gives us kind of a high starting point um, and a greater range for the variability that we can create when we manipulate the water intake. So an extreme situation would be sometimes you could sip, sometimes you just cut the water off, kind of depends on the person to some degree. But you have, if you have a situation where water intake is very high, sodium intake is very high, you're at homeostasis. You're still regulating your body's figured out. It's regulating around that, that normal level of um, natremia, so sodium levels in the blood. If you then reduce the sodium intake while the water intake is still high, um, that will cause a reduction in the level, the concentration of the sodium. And then when the water intake is cut way back or eliminated, we have a, a water cut, so to speak, the body is going to want to bring that sodium level back up. And in order to do that, it's going to have to cause diuresis. And what you've done there is set up a situation where the diuresis will basically overshoot such that in order to get the sodium concentration to its normal level, the body water levels will have to be below their normal level. And now you're dehydrated. And the hope is, and this is the way it pans out for the most part, is that you've lost extracellular fluid. In particular, you've lost that extracellular fluid that's under the skin that's blurring your definition. So that's where it's coming from in part. It's going to come from everywhere in the extracellular component. But you still got that extracellular component taken care of because you loaded the glycogen, you got the fat loading working for you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, an important point there, and this is one of the, it's a, it's a sort of a side um, effect, but um, those sorts of loop diuretics, those that don't spare potassium can flatten people out really quickly because if you're losing potassium, you're losing the intracellular electrolyte that you want to have in place. Potassium is important for glycogen loading. In fact, without it, you're not going to glycogen load. So you have to have enough potassium because that's sort of holding the water inside that intracellular component. So you're not manipulating potassium um, in that period of time. You want to keep that normal for the most part. You, you mess around with potassium too much, you can cause heart problems. That's sort of a, a fair warning to people. At least here in the States, I think the, the potassium pills that you can buy in the drugstore, 99 milligrams, which is 1% of your daily potassium intake. Yeah, it was a very small amount. Like a whole, you have to take a whole bottle literally, you know, to get, you know, pretty close to your daily intake. So they try to make, you know, a you have to like literally buy a, you know, a whole case, I guess, of yeah. potassium pills in order to really script potassium levels. But that can be done with the diuretics, of course, Lasix and things like that. So that's the idea. And so that, that idea of water and sodium high, which they typically would be anyway, high enough so you've got room enough for variability. If things are at this level, let's say, let's say you're at, at you know, um, eight, eight liters a day and you drop things down, well, the extent to which the dehydration is going to happen is not going to be as great if you're only drinking three liters a day because you, your body doesn't have to lose as much water to get that sodium level down to where it would, would be its normal level, which means dehydration in terms of total body water. So high levels of water and sodium are in place. You reduce the sodium intake or just don't have anything that's got sodium added to it or anything sodium in it. That reduces your sodium concentration. And when you keep the water level high, you tend to precipitate that even more, pardon the pun. And then when the water's out, then the body will diuresis overshoot and your so to bring your sodium levels back up. And that overshoot produces a whole body dehydration effect, which makes you dry. So waking up in the morning after a show, after having done that, crispy, like the term that I like best, is the goal there. And, and 
what I'll just toss this in so people are there. I can imagine the answers or the questions that I get. If someone has done the protocol the way we've kind of set it out where you're low carbs early in the week, which will tend to mean you drop water. See that thing, see that with ketogenic diets, for instance. And let's say you're 200 pounds, keeping the numbers, you know, sort of simple and easy to remember. And that's pretty dry. You look pretty good. And then you've loaded, you know, for a couple of days, Wednesday and Thursday. So you've got, you know, if you if you put a thousand grams in as glycogen that wasn't there beforehand, and you get, let's say you get that number, which is fairly variable, but let's say you get, let's say you get another 300 grams of water with that. That's 4,000 grams, four kilos, 8.8 pounds, you know, in an idealized situation to added to your body weight, body mass as muscle mass, because that's literally what it is. Let's say you then go through that, that dehydration procedure and you wake up in the morning of the show and you're now 198. And this is typically, these are the types of numbers I would typically see in doing this. And you kept pretty much all of that, you know, with some, there's going to be some, you know, shifting of the water across the intracellular space. But the idea is that the, the glycogen holds it there in place because it has an osmotic effect. Um, and the fat load is helpful as well. That, so let's say a lot of that weight loss is that weight loss is not because you've lost volume and mass and the muscle mass. You've loaded that, you kept it there. That's because you've dehydrated so much. So now your body water is down, you know, 10 pounds in an ideal situation. It's probably not that much. You probably lost some intracellularly. That's an unknown too that's worth studying. But now you're full because you loaded like a mofo earlier in the week and now you're really dry because your weight's below that. So if you get to that midweek body weight and then you, or, or below that on the morning of a show, presuming a, a morning prejudging, you're rocking. You're, you're going to be like, you're going to be freaky. As long as you're in shape, you're going to look like a freak show. You may be, may even be flat in that scenario, in which case adding water is a breeze. You can add yeah. the water back. That's no problem. It's getting rid of it in the first place. It's hard to do. So um, you want to talk about the head down tilt thing? So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. 
the exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy. We're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.